0: This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Gamley, and it's time for the New Hampshire News Recap. Housing, energy, marijuana legalization, those are just a few of the priorities that House leaders have outlined for this legislative session. But what are the actual policies lawmakers are proposing? Let's dig in this morning with Ethan DeWitt from the New Hampshire Bulletin and Anna Brown, Director of Research and Analysis for Citizens Count. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for being here for the recap this morning. Now, I interviewed House Majority Leader Jason Osborne and House Minority Leader Matt Wilhelm this week on Morning Edition. And, of course, the cost of living, housing specifically, came up. Here is what they had to say.
1: I mean, I think kitchen table issues are top of mind uh, for my neighbors. And, you know, as we were campaigning in November, you know, we were hearing that all across the state. doesn't matter if you live in cities, towns. Uh, you know, things like energy prices, things like uh, the cost of housing,
2: childcare. You may have seen that the speaker created a new uh, housing committee specifically to uh, study that issue, grabbed uh, some people out of different committees to all, all work with it together, maybe shake things up a little bit, and get uh, maybe a different result than what we've seen.
0: Now, new data released this week shows New Hampshire homes became even less affordable in 2022. Anna, let's start with you. What are some proposals that we could hear from lawmakers this session to, to address the housing crisis?
3: Last session, a lot of the proposals related to funding, you know, and a lot of that was federal funding that was coming down after COVID-19. But so I'm seeing a lot of proposals specifically related to zoning, letting more accessory dwelling units, more houses on lots if it's serviced by public water and sewer and then, you know, also other proposals related to renting, so requiring more notice before an eviction or or a rent increase, potentially. And the question is, can there be Republican and Democrat agreement
1: on that?
0: Now, Ethan, what are you keeping an eye on there? What, what what do you have to say to that?
1: Yeah, I think there was a package last year where some things made it through, some things didn't. It was pretty comprehensive, um, and there are some efforts to bring some of those efforts back. Uh, there is. an effort to kind of incentivize towns to approve more construction um, through a certification program for the state. That was taken up by the legislature last year, and that's come back. And uh, as we talked about last week, um, and as was mentioned um, by um, Representative Osborne, the uh, th- this year there is a special committee and I think the effect of that is going to be that the committee will view the bills it gets through the lens of increasing housing versus past. the past committees have looked at it uh, through the lens of sort of local control and a lot of the, the uh, representatives who have taken up housing bills have kind of come at it from a position of um, a default position of the state should not be involved in making zoning laws for local communities. I think that this new housing committee could see it differently and uh, to Anna's point that might um, move some things in a different direction with some of these bills.
0: And Anna, as, as you brought up, as it, it, it's really going to depend on some bipartisan support. It does seem like this committee is made up of, of both Democrats and Republicans, no?
3: Yes. And there's just this necessity of bipartisanship when you look at the House, when there's such that close margin between Democrats and Republicans. I do think that both parties are taking this issue of housing affordability, affordability very seriously. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of interest in moving this forward. I think that also restrictive zoning can appeal to some Republicans who are looking at this and saying, all right, this is about freedom. This is about allowing more businesses and people to develop residences how they want to, which might ease up on that sort of local control hands off position that they've had in the past.
0: Now, another issue with bipartisan support, and one Jason Osborne and Matt Wilhelm both are, are teaming up on, is marijuana legalization. Here's what Osborne had to say earlier this week about that.
2: Well, I mean, the, the low-hanging fruit to me is always uh, marijuana policy. That's something that uh, Republicans and Democrats have worked together on for ages and ages, and uh, we'll give that another try uh, this year. We'll see what our friends across the the wall, uh, do with it when we send it over to him.
0: And by across the wall, I assume that he means the the Senate and the and and Governor Sununu because the House has passed marijuana legalization before. So what's been the holdup, Anna?
3: The real challenge is Governor Sununu. So it's true that the Senate has not passed these bills, but often it's after a cue from Sununu that says, I'm just going to veto this. The state is dealing with a drug crisis, whether we're looking in the past, opioids, heroin, fentanyl coming out, whatever it might be. So I think that the real key is persuading Governor Sununu. He did signal last year that he was open to a bill that would allow the Liquor Commission to control sales, regulate sales very much similar to the state's monopoly on liquor. So there is a proposal to do that this year. There is another, so the proposal that Jason Osborne was talking about, the majority leader was talking about is a cannabis commission and it would be, then sales would be taxed under the meals and rooms tax. So, Yet to see if Governor Sununu can get on board with that one or not. And that's a real test.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. It's, it's a calculation there. Now, law, lawmakers have tried a, a number of different approaches in the past. Ethan, what's on the table this time around?
1: Yeah, so I just, Anna brought up last year's model that Sunu had uh, sort of said he might be open to. That used a state-controlled system. Uh, essentially, the only place you'd be able to legally buy cannabis would be through state liquor stores. Um, that had the support of a, a, a coalition that people at the time thought might finally get it through the Senate. But it also uh, was kind of looked down on by a lot of legalization advocates. They saw it as a monopoly. They saw it as uh, the situation that wouldn't be economic sustainable um, and so this year they're bringing back the idea of retail through private businesses private organizations and then for the state rather than the state to sell it itself to tax that that um, those profits and then use those, that revenue towards something one thing that's interesting this year is we've seen past attempts to legalize sales and uh, that revenue has gone in different directions this attempt is going to put the revenue into New Hampshire's pension debt which uh, seems like perhaps an obscure topic, but it's a very important one, the state has more than almost $6 billion still in remaining pension liabilities that needs to pay off. And this is something that I think is a sort of surprising bipartisan effort uh, that we're sort of seeing. We're seeing people on the right talking about the importance of uh, cutting down this debt. The state does have a a payment plan to pay it down, but if this cannabis bill this year would pass, uh, 70% of the revenue made from it would go towards paying this down, and people People on both sides say that could help property taxes because uh, towns and cities are on the hook for a lot of that debt.
0: Okay, so there could be some more of an incentive here to get this done. What, what do you think this will actually happen this year? Do you think it, it, it is possible that we'll see marijuana legalization on some level?
1: Well, as Anna said, it really does come down to the signals that Governor Sinew sends out. He's not sent out any strong signals that he would like legalization. He's never sent a strong signal that he's in support of it, but he has said things in recent months that suggest that he still doesn't think it's the time. The other factor here is the Senate, um, and the Senate has historically been a barrier, but we've seen some... Some shifts in the makeup of the Senate. Obviously, there was an election. So you had a few no votes that have left, Senators Bob Guida, Chuck Morse, Aaron Hennessy. They're no longer in the Senate, all of them um, left for different reasons. Uh, and then you have a few incoming senators who were House Republicans in the, you know, were representatives and at the time did support some measures of legalization. So you have Senator Howard Pearl, Senator Tim Lang, Senator Keith Murphy. So what'll be very interesting. If all of those people voted for legalization and you had nine democratic votes, which which you did last year, that is enough to push a cannabis bill to Sununu's desk. Whether that happens, whether there is uh you know, the Senate is is much kind of better at reining in members uh, and also negotiating and kind of trading off. The House is much more predictable, uh, unpredictable in that mm-hmm. regard. So whether these uh, new members of the Senate change the dynamic is something I'm going to be watching very closely.
0: Okay. We'll have to
1: be watching it, and I know we'll be
0: reporting on it as well. This is the New Hampshire News Recap on Morning Edition from NHPR. I'm Rick Canley, joined by Anna Brown from Citizens Count and the New Hampshire Bulletin's Ethan DeWitt. Now, let's turn our attention to the state budget. It's the first task facing the House, getting that new state budget plan. Two years ago, Republicans earned criticism for including some non-fiscal items in the budget. Uh, Anna, can you tell us more about how that happened? And uh, let's take a look at what do you think is going to happen this time around?
3: Sure. So the budget is this big negotiation process. You have to get the House, the Senate to agree there's a conference committee at the end. And there wasn't a huge majority of Republicans in the House last time around. And that allowed, uh, I believe they were called a Freedom Caucus, but more libertarian, right-leaning, hardline conservatives banded together and said, if you want us to vote for the budget, we need these specific priorities to be included. And the idea is if you can put something in the budget, there's so much pressure to make that compromise, get the budget across the finish line. You know, we have to put this package through, so you got to suck some of it up if you want to get the things you want. That's how we ended up with a 24-week abortion ban, a law aimed at banning critical race theory, and some other policy changes. So this year, is it possible that we could see policies like that put in in order to negotiate votes? Yes, but it's a little less likely because there is virtually that equal split between Democrats, Democrats and Republicans in the House. And so, I mean, we've even seen in past years that the House hasn't even been able to pass a budget even when it had a majority. That's very rare, but it is so hard to get people to agree. Right. It seems almost inconceivable that we get these extra policies
1: that are very controversial.
0: I do want to play this tape here. Here's what Wilhelm and Osborne told us about the budget process this
1: year. I think there's an, uh, an opportunity to have a more pure budget conversation as it works through the Finance Committee to keep some of those ideological battles out of the state budget.
2: I wouldn't expect to see that on the House side just because of our situation. I, I certainly would imagine that the Senate will do uh, some of that when they send it back across to us, kind of just force us into a situation where we have to vote for it.
0: So, Anna, what, what if, if you had to, uh, you know, uh, make a bet on this, what, what do you think is going to happen?
3: I think most of the as Majority Leader Osborne alluded to, I think a lot of the really controversial decisions are going to come down to the Senate. You know, I think that the House will pass over probably a pretty mild package. And then the Senate is going to have a lot of power to decide how they want to shape that budget going forward, because the House does have to approve it in the end. But they they sort of at that point, by the time it comes back, comes back to them, it's it's, you know, it's crunch time and they got to get that yay vote so that the state doesn't shut down.
0: Ethan, what about you? What are you expecting from this budget process this year?
1: Yeah, I think it could go two, one of two ways, but I think that House Majority Leader, Republican Majority Leader, Jason Osborne, in that clip you just played, indicates that Republicans are less interested in playing hardball with policy. As Anna mentioned, that was the strategy in 2021. When, and the argument was, we have such a narrow majority in two years ago that we need these policies. Now they have an even narrower majority. Historic, in modern history, um, very, very narrow. And I... I think that Osborne is indicating that that is not the play this time, but we'll see what actually happens. It also comes down to Ken Wyler, who's the chairman of, of House Finance. Last year or two years ago, he drove a hard bargain. He's, he sent a letter to the Senate saying, if you don't include these in the budget, I can't get the votes. The that the governor pushed back, the Senate pushed back, but in the end, a lot of those came through in the budget. So again, it seems like Osborne is signaling that won't be the the, the tactic this time, but it still could be because we have no idea how the House is actually going to vote when we get through the process.
0: Absolutely. And of course, it has to go back and forth too between the House and Senate.
1: Exactly. You need, need, when it goes from one chamber to the other, you have to always be mindful of whether you have the votes in the other chamber. And I think this year with a divided House, it's even more relevant.
0: Anna Brown is Director of Research and Analysis for Citizens Count. Ethan DeWitt, a reporter for the New Hampshire Bulletin, we appreciate your reporting so much. And I want to ask you both, before we leave this morning, what what you're working on and what you're looking forward to in the next week or so. Ethan, I'll start with you.
1: Well, the House Speaker himself has sponsored the parental rights bill. They've modified it a little bit from the version last year. It no longer includes um, provisions about gender identity, but I'll be definitely watching that one. Okay. How about you, Anna?
3: I'm looking at the other bills that are coming out related to child care because we talked all about housing. There's that other special committee out there looking at child care in the state. and We're funding that. So haven't seen nearly as many proposals related to that so far as housing, but it's another top critical issue. So I'll be looking for that to get fleshed out a little bit.
0: Okay. We'll be checking on both of you reporting. Thanks so much. Anna Brown, Director of Research and Analysis for Citizens Count, and Ethan DeWitt, reporter for the New Hampshire Bulletin. Thanks so much to you both again. Thank you. Thank you. You can find more of their work at citizenscount.org and newhampshirebulletin.com. I'm Rick Ganley. You're listening to the New Hampshire News Recap on Morning Edition from NHPR.